Good morning. Uh, you, many of you know Nicole Farr. Nicole has been on staff at our church for about six years now. She came to Area 10 in the summer of 2011, uh, kind of checking out churches. Her and her husband had moved here. Her husband, Grant, was uh, doing a residency in MCV here. And so came here and got involved in the church. And she came to me sometime that fall and said, hey, I, I really want to get more involved here. I, I, she had worked at a church previously. She's like, I really like what we're doing here. And so she ended up coming on staff uh, sometime in that spring and started working for us just part-time, as many hours as we could give her. And then as it kind of grew, there, as the church grew, there were more and more things. And she started taking on more and more of a load. And so uh, Nicole, over the past six years, has worked in our local Engage and, and how we serve the city and our global stuff as well and then a lot of stuff internally in the church and helping people plug in according to their giftedness in, into the church body here. Um, in addition to just any other thing we asked her to do, can you kind of fill in this? And she's overseeing cartwheels and coffee for us. And, and, then, um, and then a lot of you have probably sat across the table from her at some point, have a cup of coffee, and she's really uh, great listening to people walk, walk through different things with folks. So um, Nicole's been awesome here, and we've always known that eventually uh, our time working together would, would end, that uh, she has a heart to, to be back in Portland where her family is. And so uh, her husband's done with his roles here in, in this summer, and so they're moving back. And so this is Nicole's last Sunday with us. And we are super sad to see her go. Um, she's meant a lot to a lot of people in this church. And uh, she's, done, she's done great work here, and I'll, and I'll always be thankful for the time that we got to spend together working together, um, because uh, she's, she's been a great person to work alongside, and has really challenged me, and uh, when I want to shoot from the hip, she's like, how about you put the guns down? Don't shoot from the hip. How about you think that through? And like, it's just been really good, and uh, we're going to miss her a ton. So I just want to say publicly, um, thank you, Nicole, for all the work you've done, and I'd like to give you the opportunity to thank her also for all she's meant here. You'll have an opportunity, you can say hi to her after a service today, or Wednesday night we are having a farewell party for her and Laura, um, I talked to you about Laura last week, uh, transitioning off our staff. Uh, this Wednesday night at U-Turn, we're meeting there and we're going to have uh, some food and, and um, you'll, you'll be able to talk to her and, and, and say goodbye to her and, and talk to Grant as well, right? That, that's all working out together. He'll be there, like his, his work schedule is always like, is he going to be there? I don't know. Um, but it's going to be really good to, to see them, so sign up for that through our app or through the website or Facebook so that you can join us Wednesday night if you want to come say uh, goodbye then. So, thank you. All right. Um, this week, uh, this week was my wife and I. It was our 20th wedding anniversary, so we celebrated that, and uh, that was a lot of fun. It was just exciting to look back over 20 years together. We've got friends who uh, who always joke around, like they say, "Oh yeah, we've been married 10 years," and then they say, "Like we're almost done," you know, which is I guess that's hilarious or whatever. Um, I'm I'm thrilled. Um, and, and, and actually, in, in thinking back on 20 years of marriage, I thought back to how we got engaged. And um, I remember when we were getting engaged, it wasn't all perfect, and the situation wasn't perfect. And in fact, we had doubts about, is this marriage going to work, and are we the right people for each other, and that kind of thing. And when I say we had doubts, primarily I mean she had doubts. Uh, <laughs> I was fine because I charge into things, and, you know, and I'm like, let's do this, this is going to be great. And she's like, I don't know, you're a little, you know, whatever. So we had to, we had to work through all of that. And I can see over the years how my desire to charge in 
to things has been helpful, and I see how her desire to be more cautious and hold back on some things has also been very helpful. Um, it's just kind of our, our temperaments. But our engagement itself, the night we got engaged, was not Instagram-worthy, and Instagram was not a thing. In fact, 20 years ago, we were not all carrying around cameras at all times so we could record every moment of our lives. So when we got engaged, there was no Instagram, there was no photo, no, not a good photo anyway, there was not um, a hashtag uh, something about locking it up or tying down, I don't know, something. There was none of that going on. We just got sort of regular engaged. Um, and we got engaged on the beach at Florida, which sounds awesome, except it was in December. It was cold. We were wearing puffy jackets. There was nobody out there. It was really windy, uh, and it wasn't pleasant. There weren't dolphins jumping over anything. There was no sunset. It was just cold. We were tired. We got engaged, and then we drove home and talked about what the wedding was going to be like, which apparently she had already had all planned out. Um, but I, I think, uh, if you think about it, if you wait till conditions are perfect for something, you're, you're just never going to do it. You're never going to like pull the trigger and do the thing, whatever the thing is. I, that's true of like a lot of relationship stuff. That's true of a lot of things. We, we, as a family, we got a dog this past year. Uh, at Thanksgiving, we got a dog. And if you know me, you know that um, I have a cold, stony heart when it comes to animals. And so I was not in the mood to get a dog, like maybe ever, except I love my kids, and my kids have been asking me for, I don't know, seven years or something, like, can we have a dog, can we have a dog, can we have a dog? And we finally got a dog. And um, when we got the dog, the dog's name, according to the SPCA, the dog's name was Thelma. And we decided not to keep that name because that's the name of my mother-in-law. And we thought that would be a little awkward. Like, we named the dog after you. <laughs> you know, like, that's not going to fly. And she's a sweet lady. We didn't want to do that. So um, we named the dog Pepper. And, um, and I, don't, I did not know what I don't know, did not know about how you maintain or keep animals alive and what you need to do and all. I can keep children alive, but I had not done this with animals. And so we've kind of learned all of that stuff that we don't know. But it's one of those things, like if you, if you wait till you're ready for it, you probably will never pull the trigger because you'll never feel ready. It's like that about money. It's like that about career. You've probably felt that way in some ways about careers, about relationships. If you wait till all the stars perfectly aligned, you just won't pull the trigger and actually do the thing. And you'll allow excuses to come up and fill your mind, and you will miss out on great growth and great opportunities because you're making every excuse why you shouldn't go ahead and just go do the thing. Uh, you'll allow the excuses to cloud out your, your judgment. I, I believe some of the greatest growth in my own life and in our lives is when we take the leap, when we take a risk. Um, we see that the greatest growth comes on the other side of fear, on the other side of risk, on the other side of pushing through our doubts. Um, that's where God does great work and, and can do something in us and, and through us. And so I want to look at uh, this, th this account of Moses today. And we've been in this, this series called Movers and Shakers, and we we're talking about uh, how we are called to be people of influence. We are to leverage our influence. Some of us have a little bit of influence. Some of us have a lot of influence. But all of us have somebody who looks at us and says, I kind of want to follow them or be like them or I'm interested in them or whatever. Uh, and so how do we leverage that influence for the good of God's kingdom and the good of this world? Uh, how, how do we do that well? And we're looking particularly at Moses and how he did it. And if you were here last week, what we talked about is how God had called Moses this thousands of years ago. God meets Moses in the desert and appears to him in the form of a burning bush and speaks to him. So Moses gets this undeniable, supernatural, supernatural audible call from God where God speaks to him and says, I want you to do this thing. 
And Moses has an incredible call from God. He is told, I want you to go back to Egypt, to Pharaoh, to the leader of Egypt, and I want you to tell him to set the Israelites, my people, there's like over a million of them, I want him to set them free. So go to Pharaoh, tell him to release his free labor force, his slaves, and I want you to lead those people out of Egypt, and I'm going to take you to a new land that I have promised uh, those people. This is an incredible, powerful thing, and and Moses doesn't have to wonder if he heard from God. Like, he has this powerful in- encounter, um, and he has an incredible chance to make his life count. And yet, um, he almost doesn't pull it off. Like, if you read through the rest of the account in Exodus, you see what happens, and it all goes according to plan, and it works, and whatever. But he almost kind of misfires at the start. He almost doesn't do what God wants him to do because... Um, he thinks he's not worthy or equipped or whatever. And so I want to look at Moses' excuses to God, and I want to look at how sometimes they are like our excuses, and how God has equipped Moses, and also how he equips us. If he calls you to something, he equips you for it. And I want us to look at that today. So Moses, uh, we're going to look at his, his account here in Exodus chapter 4, starting with verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen. Then Moses answered, so God spoke to him through this burning bush. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Okay, this is fair. It's a fair concern Moses has. He's like, look, I'm speaking to you out here in the desert, this burning bush. I'm going to go to Pharaoh. I'm going to go back to Pharaoh in Egypt and stand in the palace and say that God told me you're supposed to let the people go. Like, how do you think that's going to go over? Because Pharaoh would say, which God told you? Isis, Osiris, like we have loads of them. And what's Moses going to say? All of those are fake. The real God, Yahweh, uh, he told me that, you know, like that's going to work. Or that he's going to go to the Israelites and say, hey, the Lord told me I'm going to lead you out of captivity, out of slavery. And they're going to be like, God didn't tell you that. Like when you start a sentence with God told me to, people get kind of skeptical, don't they? And they did in that day, and they do in our day, too. Try it. Go to work tomorrow and, be, and tell your boss, God told me to get a raise. And see if they're not a little skeptical about what you're saying. Did God really say that? I'm not, I'm not exactly so sure that's what, what happened. So how does God respond to this? Look at this, verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So Moses is like, yeah, I, I can't do this. This isn't going to work. And, and God, I love where he starts. He's like, all right, well, what's in your hand? What do you have? And Moses is like, I mean, he's a shepherd, right? So he's like, a staff? Cool, we'll work with that. Let, let's, let's start there and we'll do something that, like that. I just love that because God doesn't say to Moses, oh, you're right. You're not, not going to be good at this. We're going to get you. You're going to need, let me think, what do you need? An army? Um, you're going to need training, we're going to put you through some exercises, you're going to need some public speaking lessons, so we're going to, like, let's do a six-month plan, and then you go talk to Pharaoh. 
he doesn't do all that. He called him to a mission, and he equips him. He says, okay, what do you have? Moses, literally, he's like, I have a stick. I'm going to go to Pharaoh, and I have a stick. This is what I have. This is my worldly possessions. And God's like, cool, throw that on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Moses freaks out, and he packs up, like, what just happened, right? I get that. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a snake fan myself. Um, may, maybe you are. I was, out, I was actually out running a couple weeks ago, and I went down to the pump house park here, down on the, the, the riverfront, and I was running through there, and I was by myself, and there's hardly anybody out there, and I, and I came around the corner on this path, and about 10 feet in front of me, there's this snake laying across the path, and it was black, and I was like, oh. And I stop, and I'm like, oh, there's this black snake. Uh, and, and, and so I, I'm, I kind of froze, you know? And I was like, um, well, what do I do? And so I kind of imagined in my head that I could just run and jump over it, you know? And I pictured that. I was just jump over it, and I just keep on going. That's fine. I also imagined me running and jumping and it turning and then latching itself to my leg and then me laying down and bleeding out with nobody around there on the path. Uh, so I also envisioned that, and I was like, and so what I decided to do is bravely turn around and leave and not run that direction anymore. And I was just like, I guess I'm done running today. This is the end of my path, and I'm turning around and going home. Which, I mean, the reality is it's not hard to find an excuse to do the thing you don't want to maybe be out there doing anyway. So I just turned around and went home. So I get the fear of the snakes thing, and, and, and it was probably pretty wild for Moses to see that. And then God says, pick the snake up by the tail. And we may miss this detail, but if you've ever handled snakes before... I don't know why, but if you have, here's the thing you know. You don't pick snakes up by the tail. You pick them up near the head because if you pick them up by the tail, then they like can swing around and do whatever to you, so you pick them up where you have some measure of control. And I'm sure that runs through Moses' mind. The guy's lived out in the desert, and he kind of understands the deal, and he sees the snake, and he's like, um, God, I know you live like up there, and you're not really like dialed into what we're doing down here, but... Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you don't pick snakes up by the tail. And God's like, yeah, I pick up by the tail. I, like, I want you to do that. So he does, and it turns back into a staff. And then he gives him a couple other signs, and he's like, hey, if that doesn't work, um, use these signs so that people will know that you are really sent from me. Here's the point I want you to see. Number one is this. God can use whatever's in your hands. God can use a stick. God can use whatever you have been given. And every single person in this room has been given something. You have time, you have abilities, you have talents, you have a unique wiring. God is, has, has crafted something in your life um, and, and has said, hey, you're, you're good at this and, and I will take that thing and I can use it to do in, in incredible work. And so often we're like, well, God's called me to something, but I don't have X yet, whatever X is. And the reality is you may not need X. Maybe all you need is just the thing that you have right now. Maybe God has already equipped you for what he's calling you to do. Because we, we think, well, God, you know, he's going to call super, a superstar. I'm not a superstar. I'm just regular. I'm just really regular. I'm normal. I'm not super holy. I'm not whatever. Um, but I think what you see over and over, especially in Scripture, what you see is that God doesn't call people just based on ability. Like, he's not like, oh, who's really great? That's the person I want. He calls people based on availability. Will you, will you step up when he calls? Will you actually do what he's calling you to do? So what has God placed in your hands? Moses had a staff. What do you have? Do you have knowledge that you can share and teach? Do you have wisdom of things you've learned that you can pass on? There's some people that are good with money at this church, that they're good handling money, they understand it well, they understand investments, they understand 
discipline with it, budgeting, all that. And they teach other people in this church how to do that well. They teach financial peace classes. several people that teach financial peace here at Area 10 and pour their knowledge of finances into other people so that people can take that class and learn and, and, and to do that well. There are people who um, have been parents for a, a good spell and they've learned some things about parenting and gotten some wisdom there and they've raised some great kids and people are looking at them like, how do we do this? And so there, there's an opportunity there to pass on your parenting wisdom to those who are asking you for it. Some of you are single and you're faithfully single and you're following God and you're doing, um, you're, you're, you're living out that, that phase of your life and, and you're saying, okay, this is what God is calling me to right now. And you're and you do it well, and maybe it's an opportunity for you to talk to other people and say, hey, how can we be faithful to God and, and serve him? Even in the crazy, like the, the, the dating culture or the way the world is set up right now, how can I be faithful to God in the midst of that? And some of you are great at that, and you should share that knowledge. Some of you have been through marriage difficulties, and you've been through very hard times, and you have the opportunity to mentor or speak into other marriages here and say, hey, we navigated that too. We can walk through that with you. But God has placed something in your hand, um, what is it? All of us have something inside, outside the church. It's so easy in the church to look at and go, okay, well, there's someone who's into public speaking. Clearly, that guy talks on stage, that person's talking, or, oh, this person sings, she's really good at that, and that guy plays drums, and I can't do that. And you look at those things, and you say, well, I don't do any of those things, therefore, I'm not useful. The reality is you're extremely useful. God has wired you up in unique ways, and we need them all to contribute here. We need everybody stepping up and saying, okay, I'll, I'll use what God has given me to, uh, and I'll leverage the influence God has given me to, to serve others. So, so number one, we need to look at what God has already placed in our hands. Number two, God is, give, gives us the opportunity to use pain. Look, at, uh, look back at verse 10 in, in, in Exodus 4. But Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses is like, look, um, God, I know you're calling me to do this, but it's a bad call. Uh, I'm not a good public speaker, and you're asking me to, like, stand before Pharaoh and other people and, like, motivate the crowds. I'm not good at it. He's like, I'm slow of speech and tongue. We don't know what that is. Maybe Moses was a stutterer. Maybe Moses had a speech impediment. Uh, maybe Moses was terrified of speaking at crowds. But whatever it was, he had some limitations. And God can use your limitations. God can use the pain that you've experienced. He can use the limitations that you have. He can use the brokenness that is in your life. And that's important for us to understand because so often we disqualify ourselves. We say, God can't use me. I've done this. I was so, it was so bad at this time I did this thing. It's not true. God can use you. In fact, man, read through the Bible. It's not, it's not the greatest hits of like historical superstars. It's not how it actually goes if you, read, if you read the people that God uses. He calls Noah. Noah um, builds an ark. He's like, I need a carpenter. Noah, you up for it? Cool. Build an ark, water. All the water recedes. Noah steps out into dry land. The first thing he does is get hammered. He's like, I'm just going to drink this off. This is bad. Okay. He calls Abraham. Abraham to be the father of a nation, to move to this other place. Abraham, a, a hero of, of multiple faiths of the world. Abraham tried to pimp out his wife and he slept with a servant girl. 
King David is an adulterer, commits adultery uh, with a woman that he sees out on the balcony. Um, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he's a murderer of, of the early church and a persecutor of the church, and God calls him to plant churches and to be a, a powerful missionary and leader in uh, the church. Um, it's so frequent in the Bible that God uses completely jacked up people, you start to realize that that's kind of the point. God, uh, this is actually his specialty. He uses the bad and the broken and the bored. And so if you're any of those things, um, I just want you to know that God can use that stuff in you. Um, He redeems our brokenness and he redeems our pain. There's a lot of pain in this room. I spoke to people this week, and I hear more and more stories of it. Cancer, infertility, betrayal uh, from friends, from, from a spouse. Um, there's stuff in our story that has happened to us that we wish would have never happened. And there's stuff, if we're honest, in our story that has happened that we caused that we wish we had never done. We all have those things. And so we might need to forgive. Forgiveness might need to flow from us to whoever did things against us. And forgiveness might need to flow, uh, we might need to accept God's forgiveness of us of the things that we've done, because when we accept his forgiveness, God starts to redeem the pain and starts to um, change the way we relate to even our past. When we forgive, God does, begins to do the work of, of redeeming our painful stuff, and he uses our painful stuff for our growth and for his glory. The Apostle Paul says it this way in his letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12. He says this, but he said to me, he's talking about God, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I think he's getting at there. Um, he's saying that God told him, look, I'll work in your, in your brokenness. I'll work in your weakness. I'll work in your limitations. In fact, uh, I can do some of my best work there. Because, you know, when you meet someone who's, like, athletic, and they try a new sport they've never done before, and you watch them, and they're great at it, and you're like, of course you're great at it. You're athletic. Like, it's not a surprise. You meet someone who's a good public speaker or something, and they speak in a different context. You're like, of course, you're just good at talking in front of people. You meet someone who's, you know, just got different, th- these skills are very smart, so they pick something up quickly, or they're mathletic, and they do this new math thing that's really good. Like, you meet people like that, and you just go, well, of course that's you. You're a natural. But what about when people start to shine in areas that you would think they're actually weak? And that's the stuff where you're like, and, and you may have experienced this in your own life, or you may have seen people like that. You're like, this is totally God. This is God's work because I'm terrible at this. It's only by the grace of God am I able to do this, or only by the grace of God is she able to accomplish that because she normally is not naturally wired up for that. Um, that. That's what Paul's getting at. Now, I've seen pain redeemed in this church. I have seen um, couples where someone has committed adultery and they've since gone on to continue to love each other and... Um, and reach out and, and walk other couples through similar kinds of pain. I've seen people who have lost close loved ones to cancer, and I've seen them use that as a way to minister to people who are walking through cancer. I have seen people uh, deal with infertility, and then they've walked other couples through the pain of that and working with that. Um, the pain and the suffering is inevitable for us. Um, we're going to go through it at some point, um, but we have a choice 
to allow God to use those things to do something good in us and to use us to minister to others. So, so number one, think through what God has put in your hand because he's given you something. Number two, God can use that, that weakness, that pain uh, for, for your growth and for his glory. And then finally, n- number three, I want you to look at this, uh, verse 13, continuing back in the, in the text. But he said, so Moses speaks here, he said, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Like, after all the excuses aren't working with God, he's like, actually, it's not about me being a bad speaker. Um, could you just send somebody else to do this job? I really don't want to do this. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs." Moses is out of excuses. God, can you please just send someone else? And God's like, yeah, Aaron will be with you. He's your brother. He's a good speaker. He'll handle it. And here's the point I want you to see. God uses the people around you to help. God has surrounded you with other people who are good at things that you're not good at. They have strengths where you're not strong. They have, they have a different way of seeing the world, and they have a different perspective. And, they, and they're not, their biggest strength maybe is that they're not you. And they can see you differently and they can see the situation differently. And God has surrounded you with those people and they can help you fulfill your calling and you can help them fulfill their calling. It's a, it's a beautiful thing how God uses others and, and how, how he uses us to support each other when we feel weak. There's a great example of that. Later on in, in Exodus, uh, the Israelites have left Egypt and they're, they're in a battle against uh, out fighting. And Moses... He's standing above the people as they're fighting. He's standing there and he holds up his arms. And as long as he holds up his arms, the Israelites are winning the battle. But as soon as his arms get tired and he starts to drop his arms, they start losing. And they realize this, like, hey, Moses' arms up, this is a good thing. Arms down, that's not good. Um, And uh, Aaron, the guy mentioned here, and then another guy, Hur, they come next to Moses and Moses sits down on a rock and they sit next to him and they just sit there and they hold his arms up while he's sitting there so that the Israelites will win the battle. I'm like, that's just a beautiful picture that someone comes alongside us and is willing to hold our arms up while we're doing what God has called us to do. And I bet you have people like that in your life too that would come alongside you and hold your arms up and and maybe you have the opportunity to come alongside someone else as they're fulfilling what God's called them to do and you can hold their arms up as well. Uh, I've been blessed, uh, I feel, I've been blessed by people at this church who have done that for me. I, one example, uh, Ryan Kelly was on staff here at Area 10 for two years, and, and he was my assistant. And if you know Ryan, uh, and you know kind of his background, he's like getting his PhD right now. Like, being Chris Barris' assistant at the church is not probably something he's going to even put on his resume. Like, he's already done, like, really incredible things, and he's got this really great resume, and, uh, and, 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 and so... I asked him, hey, would you come do this with me? And, and, and he jumped in because he's got a servant's heart and he wanted to, and he wanted to help. And I remember going through a rough patch a while back and I, and I would text him like, oh, this is hard and I'm, I'm dealing with all this stuff and my stress. And he's like, and he would text back encouraging words to me. He's like, man, it, you know, I'm, I, I hear you. It's gonna be okay and think about this. And he, would, he was trying to be very encouraging to me. And I, and I just said, hey, Ryan, thanks for, 
Thanks for listening and being encouraging. And he said back to me, hey, um, I'm, I'm here, man. I'm here to hold your arms up. And he was talking about Moses. And I just thought, man, I am a blessed man to have somebody like that working with me who says, hey, I'm, I'm here to hold your arms up. And um, I think if we look around, there are other people like that in our lives. Moses needed to be reminded, no, no, you have people with you that are going to walk with you in this. And you and I need to be reminded of that as well. We're not alone in this. God has surrounded us with people um, who can help us. So this entire series is about influence. How do we leverage that for the good of God's kingdom and the good of the world? And, 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 and uh, it's important for us to, to think about what we're doing with the, the little bit of time, money, and energy that we have here on earth. Um, but I think it's important to remember here what was at stake when Moses was called because I think there's something similar at stake for us. Moses needed to fulfill the calling of God in his life uh, because people were in bondage. A million plus people are, are enslaved. And God called Moses to set them free. And I think in a similar way, you need to step up to your calling too and I need to step up to mine because people are enslaved. People are in bondage now in this world in different ways, in, in, in addiction and in pain and in struggling. And people are walking that you surround yourselves with every day. There's people walking Honestly, walking on a road to hell, walking far away from God. And God is going to use you to help set them free. There are real consequences to this. So we need to think about what we're doing. We, get, we have a mission from God to reach others, to, to love him, to know him, and to bring everybody with us that we can towards him. We have a mission from him to do that. But we won't if we get scared. We will never try it. We'll roll out all the excuses like Moses had. Oh, I can't do it. Someone else needs to do it. I don't want to serve at the church. I don't want to do this. They probably got somebody better than me that could do it. We have all these excuses. Solomon writes about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4. Listen to what he says. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What's he saying? If you go there to plant seed and you're like, that's oh, too windy, I'm not going to do it. Man, I'm not going to go gather crops. The clouds are coming in. He's like, man, if, if you're looking at the horizon and always all you see is trouble, you'll never do anything. You'll never risk. You'll never step out. And so the challenge for us is to not just notice the opposition. There's, there's a pharaoh that you may need to go talk to. Don't just notice the opposition, but recognize the fact that God who called you equips you and is with you. And Scripture teaches us that God that is in you is greater than whatever's in the world. So step up, take a risk. Last week I asked you, what is God calling you to? Think about your calling. I gave you a grid to kind of think through that. And this week I want to ask you, and what do you have? What has God placed in your hands? Take that risk with that in your hand and step out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that... Um, it can be a, a terrifying thing that we, uh, we observe the wind, we see the storm clouds, we see darkness, we see pain, no possibilities, suffering, frustration. Um, we see all the reasons why the risks are scary, and, and it's hard to stay focused on what the greater good is or what the hope is or where, where there's the silver lining or where the light shines through. But God, I pray you, you bring that into focus for us. 
that we will step out in faith and serve you and honor you, um, and we will take risks for your kingdom, that we will leverage the influence you have given us, whatever platform you've put us on, we will leverage that to draw other people towards you with our lives, at work, at school, on the team, in the club. We will leverage what we have for your glory. God, um, help us to be part of the solution of setting people free. Uh, We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.